You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is uh, Alan Marsh, and me and my amazing wife, Amy, have attended The Village for the last four years. Um, We currently serve as leaders for both men and women's praxis groups. If you'll turn with me for this morning's reading, it comes out of uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, TVC. This man today needs no introduction, uh, but I'm gonna give him one. So Adam Griffin uh, has been in the orbit of TVC for maybe as long as I've been at the village. Uh, He was an elder down at the Dallas campus. He has planted East Side Church down in Dallas, and he is a passionate lover of Jesus Christ and a gifted preacher of his word. Would you guys welcome Adam to the stage? Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. If you're brand new to the Bible, 1 John is almost all the way to the back. So if you start at the back and start to move forward, you'll probably find it. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Uh, My name, like he said, is Adam Griffin. It's such a delight and honor to to be with you this morning. I am coming to you from our church, Eastside Community Church in Dallas. I do have deep roots here in the Flower Mound community. And I'm so happy to be here. Uh, They said I could preach whatever I wanted. So we're going to talk about sin and the gospel this morning. How do you feel? Sound good? All right, let's do it. Are we clapping for sin or are we clapping for gospel? We're clapping. Let's talk about the gospel. I'll tell you, I lived here for a while in Flower Mound. In fact, the first house I owned was just down the street here off of Morris, and I I loved that home for a while. I I ended up not loving it, but we loved it for a while. We did have like this beautiful big oak tree in the backyard for a long time, and then one day a storm came and knocked over that tree, and the tree fell on our our fence. And honestly, it was one of the first big kind of major repairs I went through as a first-time homeowner. And if you've owned a home, you know when you go through a home repair, you kind of get the, the, you get used to it after a while, but at first it's kind of intimidating. So a tree falling over on the fence, I really didn't know what to do immediately. Like, what do you do? Uh, but luckily, the city of Flower Mound showed up to my front door, and they showed up, and I thought, oh, great. They're going to know what to do here. And I thought this was going to be where I rescue. So here comes somebody from the city, and they say, hey, a tree fell down in your backyard. I said, oh, I noticed. Thanks for noticing. And they said, you have 24 hours to figure that out and get that out of the way. And I said, Thank you very much. That's great. Uh, So I I took like what was a task in front of me that seemed to be already impossible for me. And then I had the pressure put on to say, you got to solve this right now. And it became both like impossible for me and really, really important. And so like 
anybody in that situation uh, who doesn't have a chainsaw and is not a lumberjack by trade and was living in the suburb of Flower Mountain, I called a tree company and they came out and they knocked it out. And it was super, super helpful. I could not have done it by myself, so I'm grateful for them to come. And for us, what we're gonna look at this morning is a little like that. It's like the gospel in a nutshell right there. We are dealing with, in our own hearts, a significant mess, something that has both happened to us and something that we perpetuate, something that we do and something that is happening around us. This is this messiness. And the truth is, if left to our own devices and our own tools and our own abilities, there is literally nothing we could do to overcome it on our own. It is both really, really important to follow God and really, really impossible for me to do it right and perfectly. And anytime you take something and you say, this is really, really important and really, really impossible, then it is the perfect recipe for the human heart to run to things like shame, guilt, condemnation, or pride, like I got this even when I don't. And so what I want to talk about today in 1 John chapter 3 is that impossible and important thing, but I want to rescue you today from the feeling of pride and the feeling of condemnation and the feeling of shame that so easily sinks in. It's, it's like this. Maybe you have been in this similar situation, but a lot of you I know in here are parents. Parenting is another thing that's really, really important. I want to do this really well. And at the same time, it's really, really impossible to get it just right. It's impossible. Like some of the best parenting advice I've ever gotten, maybe you've gotten this as well. Somebody would say to you something like, hey, be involved in your kid's life. I'd say, oh, that's great advice, be involved in your kid's life. And then they come along right after that and somebody says, oh, I, don't be over-involved in your kid's life. You go, okay, all right, so be involved but not too involved, right? Yeah, that's it, that's it. Be involved but not too involved. And they'd say something like, hey, serve your kids Serve them. That's what leadership looks like. Serve them. But hey, don't solve their problems for them. All right? Now be, be stern, be serious, but don't be scary. Be friendly, but don't be their buddy. Uh, hey, if you could, don't let them make their own choices, except for sometimes let them make their own choices, but not right away and not always, and maybe eventually, but if they make the wrong choice, stop them. But sometimes don't stop them so they can experience the natural consequences. And you're like, okay, that's parenting. Got it. Just got to do it perfect. So now, I'm at, as a father, I promise you, I want to do it really, really well. But fatherhood, the better I want to do it, the more it turns into something where I feel like judgment is upon me. I cannot do this perfect. I can barely do it well. And it's so important. So what happens to us when we're thrust into a situation, and here's the gospel, when you as a person are told it's so important to follow God, he can be trusted. He can guide you. He's got commands that are for you. He loves you. And also, it's going to be impossible for you to follow God perfectly. What happens to us? 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. Look at this. By this we shall know. By this we shall know. 1 John, by the way, is a book that over and over again is going to talk about knowing and being convinced. It's like the question that the people are asking that he's addressing is, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm going to be with Jesus forever? And he says in verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Reassure. This is the word I really want to focus on today. Let's reassure our hearts. 
Much like the word in English, the word in Greek has kind of two meanings. Reassure to us means to both be convinced of something and then therefore be pacified. Convinced and pacified. Let me reassure you means let me convince you of something and let it bring about peace for you. The word in the Greek is pytho, and it means very much the same thing. It's actually the, the word the Greeks would use for the Greek goddess of persuasion. Let me persuade you. Let your heart be reassured. First, I want your hearts this morning and always to be convinced of the truth of the gospel for you. That the truth of the gospel for you is that it, it's already settled. 2,000 years ago, Christ died on a cross and paid the penalty for all your sin. That's settled. Be convinced that now you as a Christian get to walk in freedom. Be convinced that he rose again from the dead. Convinced of that, I know that he has conquered sin and death, and therefore even death has no more sting for me because death is not the end. And then because of that, be pacified. Be pacified. Now, on the list of top 10 all-time inventions, you have to put things like the printing press, right? Like, let's get information everywhere. You have to put things like the internet, similarly, information. Then I'd like to put things like indoor plumbing. That's such a blessing. I'm for it. Things like air conditioning. I wouldn't live here if it didn't exist. Like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that. But somewhere on the top 10 list has to be the pacifier. It has to be. Like, if not for pacifiers, imagine what all of our lives would be like if a screaming baby was just like, it's just going to scream. It's just going to scream. Like, I don't care if you got great air conditioning, electricity. I don't care if you got the internet. I don't care if you're the printing press. If a baby is screaming, nothing else is happening. All right? So whoever invented the pacifier, we should all be super grateful for. Mr. Dr. Pacifier, Mrs. Pacifier. I'm modern. Mrs. Pacifier, whoever it was, like whoever went to the pacifier, I'm so grateful for Because what does a pacifier do? It takes somebody who's screaming. It's the only way they know how to communicate. It's screaming. I'm so hungry. I'm so tired. I'm so cold. And it says here, everything is okay. Just, just put this in your mouth. Everything's okay. It's why we call it a pacifier. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, when it says, I want to reassure your heart, this is a similar picture. It's like in the midst of something so important, in the midst of something so impossible, how do I know I'm going to be okay? Be convinced. God's got you. And let that bring about a peace for you. That your heart can be reassured. Hey, brother, sister, you're okay. It's okay. I know life's been a mess. I know you're experiencing tragedy. I know you're the victim of something. I know you did something you shouldn't. I know that. That's all of our stories. Listen to me. In Christ Jesus... It doesn't matter what's going on. You can be okay. Let me reassure you, this is the truth of the gospel. Be reassured. And so that leads us into the next verse, verse 8, verse 20. Look at this. In verse 20, it says, for whenever our heart condemns us, this is so good, especially for people like me, baby, that dwell on mistakes, that cringe from thinking about things you shouldn't have done or said, that have that kind of sense of shame or guilt that comes from making uh, something worse. This, hey, whenever your heart condemns you, remember this, guys, verse 20, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. You don't know everything. You don't even know the depths of how much sin and trouble you're in without him. But he knows everything. And he is bigger than your biggest problem. 
Sometimes it's kind of like this. Imagine if you were looking at the moon and you're saying, hey, the moon's not that big, big. Look, I can put my thumb right over it and it disappears. If you put your thumb over the moon and it's gone, what do you have there is a problem. Same as this verse. You have a problem of perspective. You're looking at something that's so close to your face that it makes something much bigger seem like it doesn't even exist. And this is what we do with sin and our problems and our tragedies. We look at them as if it's the only thing that's happening. It's the only thing that exists. And certainly God cannot overcome this. Nobody could overcome this. I certainly can't do anything. It's just the biggest thing in our lives. And the truth is that is a problem of perspective. When your heart condemns you remember God is bigger than anything you're facing and he knows everything this is this verse I want to spend some time and this is what I need I need to be reassured this is really the roots of our reassurance is is sitting right here in verse 20 you see because my heart and maybe like yours when something's impossible and important it runs to shame so I'm messed up or it runs to pride and it says well at least I'm not that guy neither of which lead to freedom neither of which. In parenting, if I make a mistake and I feel terrible about it because it's so important for me to do a good job, I can wallow in that shame. Or in pride, if I want to cover my heart in pride, it's very easy. Like, I don't know, there's a lot of places I can go to find parents that are, are, I can say, are worse than me. Why? Because I'm the judge. I'm sitting in the judgment seat. And so I can go play, like youth sports. I don't know if you've ever been to youth sports. There's a lot of bad parenting in youth sports. It makes me feel great. It's awesome. (laughs) People are screaming at kids. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have said that, but hey, you know what? Teach your zone. I feel better about myself. Or if you've ever been, my family went to Disney World this year. Disney World is a Petri dish for bad family dynamics. It's awful. Everywhere you look, somebody's getting mad at somebody. Somebody's getting upset. Somebody, we didn't get on that right. We should go on that right. It's too hot. I'm too hungry, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I feel better about myself. Or in comparison, I look around and go, that family's having more fun than we are. What's the matter with us? You know, it's just never ugh, settled and okay. And what we have in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, is like, hey, you're okay. And it's not rooted in your performance. And it's not rooted in your comparison. It's not how you're doing. Listen, the gospel is not the good news that you're doing better than other people. The gospel is not the good news that on a spectrum of how humanity is doing, you're in the top half. That's not the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we believe. Everybody is desperate for a Savior that they could not save themselves. Otherwise, why are we even here? Why are we here if I could just preach, hey, everybody, do your best. I'm sure you'll be okay. Why would, why, why would Christ say, hey, I'll be with you to the end of the age if he could have just said, you know what, I'll leave you to it. I'll see you later. No, this is the gospel. You desperately need a Savior, and one has been provided for you. So reassure your heart this morning. I'm convinced I'm okay. In Christ, I'm free, and therefore I can be at peace. See, what happens if we don't believe this truth, we start to believe some kind of false solutions. Typically, the first false solution that we run to when we don't believe the gospel is that maybe our sin is not that big a deal. Maybe this struggle or this rebellion against God or this thing that I knew I shouldn't have done is not that big a deal. Listen to me, guys. The gospel is not the good news that your sin is not serious. How little do we make the sacrifice of Christ if we say, Christ died, but for not much. The Christ gave his life, but it was really not a big deal. And my sin's not even that serious. No, guys, the gospel is that you have such a massive problem you could not solve yourself. That it took the life of God incarnate 
to pay the price for you. And he did it not only willingly, joyfully. That's the good news of the gospel. You see, the gospel sets us free, not just from sin and damnation, which that is everything, but even in this life right now, there's a freedom that the Christian gets to experience because if you look at the root of all these problems, if I look at the root of my pride and say, this is my blindness to my own problems, but my willingness to admit the problems of others, if I look at the root of my shame and say, how dare I, I shouldn't have, what's the matter with me? I look at the root of those, and both of those are rooted in the same thing. It's this idea that I can judge for myself. I am the judge. You see, we all have a judgment problem, a condemnation problem, where we think that we're in the right seat when we're looking at ourselves or looking at other people and judging how they're doing. The good news of the gospel is not, hey, you're a good enough judge. You figure it out. The good news of the gospel is that you've been given a righteous judge who knows everything. So be reassured. Listen to me. It is It's ludicrous that any of us would walk through life after being offered the gospel and choose our own judgment over God's judgment. If you were on trial for your life, you were on trial and they said, you get to pick your judge. And they said, here are the two options. Here's a judge who's famous for being gracious and merciful and forgiving and he knows everything and he loves you and he also, he loves to pay the debts that other people owe himself. Or you could have this judge that is notoriously unforgiving, who jumps to conclusions, who berates and belittles defendants. How do you feel? Which one do you want? Why do we keep running back to this judge and say, that's what I want. I choose shame. I choose condemnation. No, listen to me. You're returning to a yoke of slavery, Paul would say. You are free. Be reassured that in Christ, your freedom is secured. Therefore, you are free from saying it is your performance that will save you. It's not. Christ was so good and so righteous that he, it was his goodness, not yours that saves you. This is the good news of the gospel. Friends, Jesus the righteous sits as your perfect judge. And while that might at first seem terrifying, here's the good news. He is so merciful and so gracious and so forgiving in many ways, more so than we are towards ourselves. For some of us, it's really hard for us to forgive ourselves. That our hearts, like verse 20 says, condemn us. We look inward and say, how dare you? God looks at us and says, of course you made that mistake again. It has not affected my love for you. Be reassured I'm still bigger than that problem. And I know everything. See, the, verse, uh, the, the gospel here is not that your sin is not a big deal. And then secondly, the, the second false solution sometimes we look to is that maybe if our sin is a big deal, well, maybe the requirements have changed. Maybe God uh, like, uh, reduced the retire- or, or requirement or lowered the expectation for me. And that must be the solution to my sin problem. Listen, God did not say, hey, here's good news. Here's the way to follow and love me and live life to the fullest. But you know what? Don't worry about that. You just do it however you want to. And it's not a big deal. Like, um, I'm sure you assume this by looking at me. I have never dunked on a 10-foot hoop. All right? Never done. Six foot two. I'm white as white can be. I'm, I'm just not that athlete. But I'll tell you what's fun. Have you ever dunked on an eight-foot hoop? I could do that. Give you a smaller ball, maybe so I can palm it easier. I can dunk on it. There's two kinds of people that play on eight-foot hoops. It's kindergartners and grown men who want to feel better about themselves. That's it. (laughs) 
And it's awesome because the, like, it's like the standard has been lowered and I can do it. I can do it if we just lowered the standard. 10-foot hoop, can't. 8-foot hoop, I got it. I feel great. I feel strong. The good news of the gospel is not that God looked at you and said, since you can't do this on your own, I'll make it so you can. The good news of the gospel is not, hey, I'm so pliable, I'm so flexible. You know what? You don't need to worry about sin. One, it's not a big deal. Two, you can achieve what you need to achieve. No, the gospel is not the good news that you can make it on your own. It's not the good news that your sin was not a big deal. The good news is that sin is serious detrimental, dangerous, and God has overcome it for you. The good news is the requirement, the guidance you need will always be good, but you're free from having to live it perfectly in order to be saved. Now you get to freely follow Christ, not because your salvation is on the line, but because he loved you enough to call you into something better. And so your heart gets to be reassured. It's okay. My salvation rests in Christ alone. How much condemnation is there for me in Christ Jesus? None. Who can bring an accusation against the God's elect? Nobody. This is the truth of the gospel. And then the third thing, sometimes in our stream of theology, we're tempted to believe that there, then there must be no consequences for sin. It must be that God looked at humanity and said, you know what, don't worry about it. Guys, what was the purpose of the crucifixion if there were no consequences for sin? God could have just walked away and said, you know what, let's just pretend it never happened. He didn't. He said there are dire consequences for sin. But the good news of the gospel is that he was willing to take those consequences on himself. The wages of your sin was death. He died, so you don't have to. The gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. And you didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't get it because you were better than the person next to you. You get to walk reassured in the gospel because of the finished work of someone else, the Savior. It was just up to you. We couldn't have had it. Now, if what I'm saying this morning is starting to discourage you, like, Adam, you're saying this is super important and impossible, and you're saying my sin is super serious, and you're saying the, the, the standard has stayed the same, that's super discouraging. Listen to me. The only reason it could discourage you is if you've rooted your life in thinking that your love and your affection from God is tied directly to your performance and your comparison. I want to disabuse you of the idea that it is up to you to convince God to love you. It is not. God loves you because you are his, not because you are better. Now, does God want better for us? Absolutely. The good news of the gospel is that my freedom in Christ also invites me to walk into freedom to follow him. But the consequences for my falling short have already been paid. So the temptation that some of us have to say then forgiveness must be permission to sin, that needs to die as well. To say that because God will forgive me, then I will do whatever I want, that needs to die. How many times have I heard someone say, God is so gracious, and I'll say amen, and they'll say, so therefore I will do this and he will forgive me. That is not following Christ. How can we call ourselves Christians if we don't follow Christ? Christian means a follower of Christ. What does, does a Christian say, I know where God wants me to go, but I'll go the opposite? No, a Christian says, even if it's harder for me, even if it's worse for me, even if it's going to make my life a mess, if God said to do it, that's where I go. God will always be bigger than my problem. He's also bigger than me. I don't sit in the judgment seat. 
In fact, one of my biggest problems, one of your biggest problems, is that we want to cling to the position of judge in our lives. Guys, what reassurance we have that someone better sits in that seat. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 21. It says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is good news. If our heart does not condemn us. So this is really speaking, you see it says beloved. It's speaking to the church, to the Christian. It says if, your heart, if you're not feeling this condemnation, this doom, that's great. Because you have confidence in God. Hebrews would say the reason you have confidence in God is because of the finished work of Christ. Not because of you. Can you even imagine the implications of this verse? That one day you would step into the throne room of God and the manner in which you do it would be confidently? Like I can't walk in front of a wall of mirrors confidently. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, my posture, oh, my good, oh, that shirt, is that wrinkle? I like, I can't do that. Imagine walking into the throne room of God and just saying, I belong here. I'm in the right place. I know how he thinks about me. I'm fine. Why do we have that confidence? It's because I've been set free from condemnation, not because of my own performance or comparison, but because of the finished work of Christ. I walk into that throne room going, I belong here. Well, it's because of you, God, that I belong here. Doesn't that lift your heart to worship? Doesn't it say, this is why I want to pursue this God? Not so that he loves me, because he loved me. He loved me so much, he's invited me to know him and know him forever. That is the good news of this gospel. I'm his. I belong to him, and no one can pry me out of his hands. If God is for me, who can be against me? Nobody. This is the God who's on my side. This is the God who I am with, and I get to walk into his presence confidently. Now, something has to be said here. Look at this verse again. It says, if your heart does not condemn you, we do need to say something here to the person whose heart does not condemn them, but it's for a, a, a poor reason. There are those among us whose heart says, actually, I'm fine, and they are assured, but it's not because of the finished work of Christ. It's because they think their sin is small, or they think the requirement they can meet, or they think there's no consequences of sin, or... It might just be that they do not trust this God. And therefore, their conscience is seared and they can sin without feeling like anything is wrong. Those of you who do not follow Christ in this room, those of you who do not follow God, this verse, when it says beloved, beloved is inclusive of the church. It's not inclusive of all humanity. It's saying what you need in this reassurance is only found in Christ. So if your heart does not condemn you and it's because you're not following God, then we would say what you desperately need is not reassurance. I don't need to reassure you everything's okay. I need to tell you, listen to me, everything is not okay. If you don't know this God and you're not following him, everything is not okay. This is our one hope. A couple years ago, my wife Chelsea and I were at a very large church campus nearby here in the Metroplex. It's a very large church campus. They have a cafeteria and a gym and just like, it's just massive. We're there just studying and hanging out in the cafeteria and it's, it's filling up. The cafeteria was very full that day. I'm not used to being there. My wife used to study there a lot. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up to the front of the room and he starts talking and it becomes immediately clear that we have accidentally attended a staff meeting of this church. So we're in there and he starts telling us all this information and unfortunately I'm sitting so close to the front and I know the staff is so big he doesn't know who doesn't work for him so I know that I have to just nod along or I'm about to get fired and I don't even work there. So we're just hanging out like just waiting for the staff meeting to be over. I know that not one ounce of the information was something that I needed to know. I'm sure it was all good information but it wasn't for me. And what a crime it would be, ladies and gentlemen, if you came here not knowing this God 
not loving this God, not following this Jesus, and you thought this information was for you. No, the reassurance for the believer is just for the believer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I am desperate to introduce you to him. I want you to know him. I want you to follow him. But I don't want you to walk out and go, so I guess I'm okay without God. No, reassurance is for those who are in Christ and in Christ alone. So I have pled for your soul. The gospel says no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. And so I've prayed that you feel drawn this morning. That something in you says there's got to be more than this life. That something in you says, God, I've made a mess of things, or my life is a mess, or I am messed up. There has to be more. And you start to feel that drawing towards God, and you can have confidence in that moment. You wouldn't feel drawn toward God if he wasn't at work. The gospel says no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. And so I've pled for your soul this morning that you might feel drawn to this God, that you might share in the reassurance of everyone in this room who is just as messed up as you. Every one of us needs a savior. And only one can save you. And that is Jesus Christ. See, God is greater, it says in this verse, he's greater than your sin. That's not to strike terror into your heart. It's to comfort you that there's not one problem you could face that he's not bigger than. There's not one decision point that you're facing that he's not wiser. There's not one one thing in this universe that we'd say, well, surely that has outpaced God or been done without him. Look at the next verse. It says this. This is his, I'm sorry, verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And if you take this verse out of the context of the rest of the Bible, it might sound like, hey, guys, we get to barter with God and make a bargain with God. And if you're good enough, then God will redeem you. God will give you whatever you want. Guys, that is to turn this verse on its head. The good news of the gospel is not you have a very obedient God. Tell him what you want and he will have to obey you. No, the good news of the gospel is that he has called you to keep walking in obedience even though he knows you'll fall short. He's so merciful, he'll forgive you. But the person whose heart is in line with the Father, that means that person will ask for what the Father wants. And if you're walking with the Father saying, I want what you want, I can guarantee you and assure you, you will receive what you ask for because what the Father wants happens. And so your heart can be aligned with God. What a blessing it is when that is the case. Not that your prayers are a time for God to show up and say, reporting for duty, what do you want, sir? But rather your prayers are you saying, Father, I'm here. What do you want? What do you want? I'm reporting for duty. Father, I obey you. What do you want? Look at the way this section concludes then. This is God's commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, if we read that verse right before, then everybody in this room, all the Christians and non-Christians alike, could say, I have prayed for something and it has not happened, so how could this verse be true? I have prayed for something. I wanted, uh, we wanted children and we're struggling with infertility. We wanted a spouse and I'm single. I wanted uh, the diagnosis to go away. I wanted to be cured of cancer and I wasn't. Every one of us can tell that story and we'd go, so what do I do? If I want to obey God's commands... And then it says, then I'll get what God, what, what I ask for. You see, we, we translate that instantly into, if I'm a well-behaved person, God will reward me. But look at what this verse just said. What are the commands of God? Believe in Jesus Christ. Command number one, trust God. 
It's not just belief saying, I believe that Jesus existed or I believe he did what he said he did. Belief is faith. It's trusting God. When you, as a Christian, pray for something and it doesn't happen, what does obedience to God look like? I trust you, God. I trust you. If you pray for something that God has called good and it is not given to you, you get to go, that's okay. I trust God. My heart is reassured. I'm convinced God loves me. And I'm pacified. I'm at peace. Paul would say, I'm content. You give me too much, I'm content. You give me not enough, I'm content. You cannot shake it. Why? Because he's free in Christ. Reassured, pacified, convinced. Whatever God has for me, he has for me. And then the next part, he says, the, command, the first command is what? To trust in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and then to love one another just as he commanded us. Listen, the longer that you follow Jesus, the more I think two things will happen. Number one, I think the longer you follow Jesus, the less your sin and accusations from other people will stick to you. The more free you'll feel. Like in my home, I have a favorite pan, if a man is allowed to have a favorite pan. I have a favorite pan. It's a cast iron skillet, and it's very manly, okay? It's, very, it's heavy, and it's made of heavy metal. And the longer I have this skillet, and the more I take care of it, the better it is seasoned, and the less things will stick to it. And I honestly think about this all the time. I want my heart to be more and more like that. That the longer I follow Jesus, the less anything can stick to me. That you, a stranger could walk up to me today and say, have you thought about this? You need to fix that. And if it's true, I could go, I receive that. And if it's not, I could say, that's going to roll right off my back. Why? Because I'm free in Christ. I'm pacified. I'm convinced. I'm okay. Not because the world has judged me okay. Not because I've judged me okay. Because I have a merciful judge whose judgment is never impaired. And he said I'm okay. And I am with him. I can walk into his presence with confidence. And then the other thing. Like I just said, whoever keeps this commandment, abide, we didn't read that part yet. It's the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We love one another. In my household, the longer that you're with Christ, I think the more your heart will look like him. In our household, we love sports teams that not all of you would love. And that's okay. Everybody, that's okay. There's no need to boo when we say we root for the Aggies. And there's no need to boo when I say I root for uh, the Green Bay Packers. Like, that's our household. Now, listen to me. Oh, I did hear some booing. What? Guys. <laughs> You know what? I'm okay. I'm pacified. I'm all right. I'm, a, I'm at peace in the Lord. My household, my kids love the same teams I do. You know why? Because they're my kids. Sometimes I tell them they have to, but sometimes it's just the natural, it's the natural outflow of growing up in our house. This is what you love. Even if, listen, it's not the natural outcropping of growing up in Dallas that they love the teams they love. It's who their parents are. The more you follow God, the more your heart looks like his, the more you'll find the things he loves are the things you love. You'll love righteousness. You'll love faithfulness. You'll love your marriage. You'll love your kids. You'll even love the stranger. You'll even love the guy who's been a jerk. You'll love the people. You'll love people. Why? Because God loves people. So his command is trust Jesus and love people. And the longer you follow him, the less the accusations stick the more your heart grows for what his heart has called you to. See, God is so great. He is bigger than every problem we face. And I'm not saying that we don't suffer. We suffer. We suffer as much as anybody. But we suffer with a hope that cannot be taken from us. We suffer with our eyes on the cross, knowing that everything that needed to be done is already accomplished. And while I can look at the law of God and say it's good, and you could ask me, so do you follow it perfectly? And I would say no. I can promise you that following Christ means I walk it repentantly saying where I fall short, I own it, 
everything I can. I want to take responsibility, face the repercussions, but I walk free, knowing that mankind is not my judge. I am not my judge. Paul would say, it's a small thing that any human court would judge me. In fact, I do not even judge myself. God alone is my judge. Men and women of the Village Church, I pray that this morning your heart is convinced God loves you and reassured, pacified, you can be at peace because it is not up for grabs anymore. He has you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been merciful and gracious to us way beyond what we deserve. God, your gospel is good news to all of us who believe. But for those of us, our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, God, who don't know you, we are desperate to see them trust your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray even now, God, your spirit would move. Draw them to yourself. Lord, I pray that our worship is fuller knowing that people are coming to know you. I pray that the baptism waters are stirred hearing the stories of people who trust in this redeemer. God, uh, disabuse us of the idea that we can save ourselves that our sin is small or that our good deeds are big enough or that there must not be consequences, God. Help us be convinced that instead of our performance, it was your son Jesus Christ's performance that redeems us, saves us, and that is secure. We have an inheritance, Lord, I know that is imperishable. So let us trust in that. And I pray that you are worshiped in this time, that our worship is a fragrant offering unto you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.